This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The fakest story I've ever read in my life, I'm not kidding, and an AI framing being presented to us that must be rejected. This is the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. All right, I want to start today by going through a story that is possibly the fakest story that I've ever read in my life, like ever in my life. The fakest story I've come across, most obviously fake anyway. Like file this one under the you've got to be kidding me category because just when you thought there's nothing they could do to shock you with their propaganda, you got to be kidding me because... By gosh, if they haven't outdone themselves this time because they shocked me. Once again, if there's some sort of propaganda Oscar award for like the most arrogant, insulting, excuse my language, bullshit of the year, of the decade, this is your winner in my opinion. I will advocate for this article winning that award. It's impressive the arrogant bullshit this article propagates. Before diving in, this article which is uh, done by the Washington Post, who does a brilliant job of never actually saying what the reader must believe to be true for any of the article to have any relevance whatsoever. They only imply what they hope the reader infers. Some background. You may or may not know this, but the COVID vaccine mandate for federal workers, international travelers, and healthcare workers is set to end next week, May 11th. I know what you're thinking. There was still a federal COVID vaccine mandate? Yeah, who the hell knew that besides people and and these groups? Has the federal smallpox vaccine mandate ended yet? I don't know. It would be coming up on, what, 150 years or so that has been in place that has it? Who knows? So So with just a week until the federal mandate that most of us didn't even know was still in place is ending, the Washington Post publishes this story today about how disease detectives, that's what they're called, disease detectives at the CDC are opening up a probe after 35 people tested positive for COVID at a, wait for it, CDC conference. Now, that might sound confusing. It was to me the first time I read it, but you heard that right. This is a story about how the CDC will be probing itself. And the reason they'll be doing this is because 35 of its own people tested positive for COVID at its own conference. It's not only that, though, it gets even better. It's not only that the CDC is pulling a Jeffrey Tubin and probing itself. The conference that the alleged outbreak occurred at was the CDC's 2023 EIS conference, which is their annual epidemic intelligence service conference, where what is known as the CDC disease detectives I mentioned get together to talk about, among other things, how to prevent future outbreaks. The CDC is having its disease detectives investigate It's disease detectives after a COVID outbreak occurred in a disease detective conference where a bunch of disease detectives had gotten together to discuss how to prevent future outbreaks. It boggles the mind, this story. And it all happened conveniently a little before a week before those federal vaccine mandates were going to be lifted. 
you talk about a story being too on the nose to be true. You know, this story is more on the nose than any I've ever read in my life. It's it's relentlessly beating the nose back to into the back of the head with a two by four. Just put this story in the dictionary as a definition for two on the nose with an image of 35 CDC disease detectives in a circle probing each other with oversized COVID swabs right up the ass. I, I, I mean... This would be like if a bunch of homicide detectives got together to talk about how to prevent homicide, and while there, 35 of them were murdered. You know, right before the federal murder vaccine mandate was about to be lifted. Just to give you more of an idea of what the EIS is, the EIS is the CDC's Epidemic Intelligence Service that was created in the 50s out of biological warfare concerns relating to the Korean War. At the time of its creation, the doctor who proposed the EIS said that the EIS was of the utmost importance to the planning of appropriate defense measures against biological warfare germs, to the development of new detection services, and to the training of laboratory workers for rapid recognition of biological warfare germs. Interesting. Persons participating in this program, known as disease detectives, have been dispatched to investigate hundreds of possible epidemics created by natural and artificial causes around the world. They try and find the origin of diseases. It is Kate Winslet's character in that movie, Contagion, the one they forced down all of our throats during the pandemic. That movie probably got more viewers than it ever had since it came out during the pandemic. And I'm sure there was a reason, propaganda reason for that. They want those visuals to stick in our mind. They practically shoved it down our throats. I can't tell if these guys at the CDC are the world's worst detectives or the world's greatest detectives. It's like they conducted an investigation that led them right to themselves. I figured out who the killer is, and the killer is I. Arrest this man. And by this man, I mean myself. I should have known all along it was me, but I just kept evading my own capture. Let's think about some odds here. What are the odds that the world's top disease detectives, best in the world, given the task of protecting us all from future outbreaks, happened to get together at a conference to discuss doing that very thing, and in an ironic twist of epic proportions, they can't even prevent themselves from falling victim to an outbreak at their very own outbreak prevention conference, which also happened to take place a little over a week before the federal COVID vaccine mandates were set to be lifted, and thus providing the world with a perfect, could not be a more perfect example of why we must never forget about COVID. We must never let our guard down. We must never have our mask too far away. We must always keep those six feet of social distancing in mind. I I mean, if it can happen to them, I mean, these are the greatest disease detectives the world has ever seen, and we are just mere slaves with mask. It must always be at the front of mind. What might have been the cause of this outbreak? Well, some of the attendees there, disease detectives, obviously, said many of their fellow disease detectives at the gathering committed the deadly sins of not masking, not social distancing, and not taking other precautions that the CDC had recommended earlier in the pandemic. Of course, right. Yeah, but that must be what happened, obviously. They want us to believe that there was people there who were still masking and social distancing now i can buy masking because i do see people in the grocery store with mask on but the social distancing is what i'm gonna have a little hard time believing that there was somebody actually there saying no no no, i can't get within six feet of any of you because even though nobody else on the planet is still following this arbitrary rule that has no science or evidence that it does anything behind it i am still following it 
not buying that part of the story there, but that's what they would have us believe. The article then goes on to highlight exactly the purpose of what this, excuse my language again, bullshit story is trying to propagate. It says, experts said an outbreak of coronavirus cases at a CDC conference, the first time the meeting of the disease detectives was held in person in four years, illustrates the persistence of an evolving virus. The four-day conference for epidemic intelligence service officers and alumni held near CDC headquarters in Atlanta last week drew about 2,000 attendees who were likely to be fully vaccinated. Maybe that was the problem. You see where this is going here. They're already telling us, well, they didn't follow the precautions from earlier in the pandemic, and that's why they got it. But yet the precautions from earlier in the pandemic were get vaccinated and you will get it. So the, the precautions weren't effective. This is a quote from an infectious disease expert at Will Cornell Medicine named Jay Varma. He or she or they said, this is unfortunately the new normal. While it is unsettling to see widespread COVID-19 transmission at the CDC's premier public health conference, it's probably the clearest example yet of the global situation. The clearest example yet. Bang that nose with a two-by-four into the back of the head, because this is square on it here. CDC spokesperson Kristen Norland, which when I saw that name, it made me think of Victoria Newland, Newland, said that about 35 people linked to the conference had reported testing positive as of Tuesday. You notice here that it's all focused on the testing positive, right? Not the symptoms, just the testing, which we know that depending on the type of test used, it's a PCR test that someone could burp from the other side of the room and get a positive test if the amplification cycle is high enough. We learned that from Kerry Mullis, the man who created or invented the PCR test. Generating false positives with that test or other tests is very easy. The pandemic proved that, if nothing else. So in their deep probe of themselves, did these disease detectives find and report actual symptoms is what I want to know. Or did they just report a positive test? And if there were no symptoms, why were they even testing at all? probably because they knew it was all going to be a propaganda exercise to justify probably more federal funding or something for the work that they do and whatever else. Yeah, they need to be relevant. The spokesperson went on to say, I'm not saying they're not relevant, okay? I'm just saying in this instance, this is just a stupid story. The spokesperson went on to say that conducting a rapid investigation now will help understand transmission that occurred and assist in refining future public health guidance as we move out of the public health emergency and to the next phase of COVID-19 surveillance and response. The next phase, uh, what would that be? They don't tell us, but what's the next phase if you're lifting the mandate? She goes on to say that whenever there are large gatherings, especially indoors, such as at a conference, there is the possibility of COVID-19 spread, even in periods of low community spread. People have been going to football games and gathering closely for a really long time now. I mean, it's like this is 2021, 2020 again here. I think you're starting to see why I feel like this is the fakest story I've ever read in my life. I just hope that what they did to, to get the data that they needed to propagate this story was like use a testing method where they knew they could get enough false positive results for the story instead of like actually pumping COVID into the air vents at this conference and conducting biological warfare on their people for the sake of this propaganda. Or, or maybe they got them to go along with it. Or maybe they just made the number up altogether. Or maybe they knew that in a group of 2,000 people that you're going to get maybe 
percent of people to test positive if you use some unreliable test and uh, they took that number that percentage they use that 35 number and they just did a little how to lie with statistics to push that narrative they want to push which is that the mandates might be ending the federal ones but you must remember you must remember the covid you must never forget the covid you must always live in fear this is like a behavioral control technique or something. This is something they got going on to get people to continue wearing masks, maybe. Uh, I don't know about the, the, the six feet thing. I mean, that's a bit of a stretch, but I feel like I have seen more and more people wearing masks lately, or maybe they're just preparing us for the next one. Who knows? The article goes on to say that the Biden administration has been winding down its pandemic response with most federal vaccine mandates and the coronavirus public health emergency set to be lifted next week. Public health experts say that while the pandemic's perils have largely receded. They remain wary of future variants and note that the virus continues to evolve. Very, very scary. For instance, a new Omicron subvariant XBB.1.16, which I believe is the one that Jimmy Fallon sang that ridiculous propaganda song about, named, I don't even know how to pronounce this, well, let's see, let's, let's see how Google pronounces it. Hold on one second here. Put it in there. Arcturus. Nicknamed Arcturus is becoming more prevalent throughout the United States. What does Arcturus mean? What does, I think somebody told me what that meant recently. Arcturus is the brightest star in the northern constellation of Booties. Is that what that says? With an apparent visual magnitude, it's the third biggest, brightest of the individual stars at night. I thought there was some sort of philosopher thing with it, but I don't know. I'll look into that later. Okay, so basically, I think the message is live in fear, slave, get that mask, keep it close by, never lose sight of it, and the main takeaway ultimately that I think is important that everybody remembers is this. If it's COVID, Paxlovid. Next story. I want to talk to y'all briefly about what is obviously a messaging campaign designed to frame AI in our minds in a very specific way, a dangerous way, in fact, for those who accept this framing as reality. And the frame goes something like this. The sum of the world's knowledge exists on the internet and AI can give us access to all of it instantly, right there on our phones, in our pockets, Access to the world's knowledge. It's like the, the song. You got the whole world of knowledge in our hands through our trusty AI chatbot. I'm surprised there hasn't been a commercial like that for one of these things. Maybe there has. I don't know. I've heard this talking point propagated a number of times now. I heard it on 60 Minutes during their very dramatic AI expose a couple weeks ago. I saw it in this New York Times article today. I've heard the head of Google's tech and society team propagate this. In fact, I believe that he is the primary messenger of this of this uh, campaign. Like, like, he's the champion of that talking point. I think it is part of his job to brand Google's AI in that way, to try and make us see it like that. Like, it is our link to the sum of all human knowledge that exists, and it can be given to us instantly without any effort on our part. I believe that it is up to us to vocally, when we see it arise, reject that premise. 
and to do so passionately. Income passionately. In fact, the reason we must reject, speak up and reject that premise passionately is out of compassion for those who have been duped into accepting such a dangerous premise as their reality. I, I mean, the implications, if enough people were to accept this, it's just like sticking a knife in your skull, opening it up, pulling your brain out, and just handing your brain over to the tech overlords and deciding that you're never going to burn a calorie in thought ever again in your life and that you will accept anything they tell you wholesale. Like it's like these roundabout tricky ways are trying to get people to just trust their AI and stop asking questions and they will feed you the establishment narrative. I actually think that this doesn't even have to be like an ideological thing. I think people from all parties can see the danger in such a premise. Like first of all, it's definitely not true that the sum of all the world's knowledge and human knowledge exists on the internet. That's not only a stupid thing to say, it's insulting to those with knowledge who lived in the past or live now who never put what they know online. I mean, what an insult to them. D did they not know anything? Like, look at this. Look how many people. We have 62% of the global population uses the internet right now, while 38%, this is according to Zipia, 38% of the world's population have never used the internet. Never. That's like almost 3 billion people who've never logged on, who've never been screen addicted, who never ignored what their friends were saying at dinner because they were playing with their phone, who've never fallen into a deep depression because they spent too much time on their friends' Instagram pages looking at pictures of their friends pretending to be happy, their friends who they themselves are also depressed, just pretending to be happy, never had to deal with any of that. The, the heroin uh, of the internet has never been a, an addiction that they have been afflicted by. In fact, they've probably been able to sit and thought and reflect. Like reflection is like the hardest thing to do now because we're just surrounded by screens all the time. And to grow, we have to reflect. Is there nothing we can learn from them? Does our AI chatbot somehow have access to everything that they know? No, of course they don't, because they have not put it online. And their knowledge matters. Of course, the establishment does not want you to think their knowledge matters. They only want us thinking about things that, thinking about information that is controlled. And knowledge outside of this Borg is uncontrolled. You can also think about the knowledge that we ourselves don't put online. We don't just, as soon as we come to know something instantly, you know, ah, here's what I know. We don't do that. I mean, knowledge is power. We don't give it all away. You see what they're doing? Like, knowledge is power. Google Bard is your instant access to power. No, it's it, it's not really. It's your instant access to the propaganda narrative that they feed them because these AI chatbots obviously, obviously don't learn alternative histories or histories that don't serve the narrative. They only learn the acceptable histories, which are not even close to what the real history is, and the knowledge that exists outside of that little grid is basically all of the knowledge in human history, our parents, our grandparents, historical figures everywhere, leading up to the past couple of months. So I think there's lots and lots of valuable knowledge that exists outside of the internet. In fact, I, I encourage everybody to seek it. There's knowledge in nature. What exists online is obviously not the sum of all human knowledge. What it is actually is the sum of all establishment propaganda fairy tales. And that's what they want 
anybody who buys into this idea that Google Bard's going to be our link to the the vast sum of all human knowledge on the internet. What, what a joke. I mean, they're going to target young people with this who are just don't know any better. And they might be able to rope some of them into it, into trusting these bullshit AI bots. It, like, this is, this, this is how you control the past, present, and the future. People's perception of reality throughout all of that by just limiting what they know to what's on the internet that's fed to them uncritically through their AI chatbot that will probably be personalized to make them like it and trust it. It's kind of nuts how they're just flipping the whole idea of knowledge acquisition and transmission on its head. Just ignoring the way it's been done throughout all of human history. Acting as though this technology that people only just discovered like nine weeks ago is and always will be the way that knowledge is acquired and transmitted. The way that humans have passed knowledge and wisdom from one generation to the next since the beginning of time before written text even existed was through a method that is still just as effective today as it was before the dawn of civilization, and that is through the tried and true method of storytelling. Those who've been there and done that, the older generation, the ones who have learned a thing or two, they share what they learned and what they know with the younger generation, who then builds upon that knowledge that they gain from their, from their elders, standing on the shoulders of giants, if you will. The wisdom shared to us by our dads and granddads and moms and grandmas and whoever in your life that you learned from the most when you were young, is, in my opinion, the most important knowledge a human being can gain. And that knowledge from those who cared enough about us to share it with us and the way that they shared it with us cannot be found on the internet. It's not just information that turns into knowledge. It's the way you encounter information and the emotional impact it has on us at the time of learning and the memory, in many cases, of when we had that epiphany when the light bulb went off and what was going on in that moment. All of these things factor in and shape the way that what we learn, the knowledge and wisdom gained, the way we're able to use that productively moving forward with our lives. This does not exist on the internet and will not be delivered to us through any chatbot. The things that I've learned in my life from my mom and my dad, my grandma, my granddad, my aunts, my uncle, my brothers, my sister, my nieces, my nephews, my close friends could never in a million years be taught to me by Google Bard. I don't care how much data it has to scrap from. It ain't happening. And look, like I said, this isn't ideological. This is something people can get on board with rejecting together, regardless of who you want to vote for for president. I mean, for a company like Google, Google of all companies, to brand itself as it's doing, to be parading around as though it and it alone has access to this vast human knowledge database. All, everything that's ever been known or ever will be known, it has access to and will get to you very quickly, just as long as you use its little stupid chatbot. I, I mean, this presumption is just an insult to every human being who you ever learned from in your life and those who never used the frickin' internet. I'm not saying that there's not useful applications uh, of this bullshit technology. There is. I, I believe that there is. But what I don't believe is that the top priority of any of these chatbots that are currently dominating the market, I, I don't believe that their top priority is to tell people the truth and to uplift humanity. I don't think that is their number one driving force. I believe that they are all motivated by the shared goal of propagating the establishment narrative at the expense of truth. 
and that they will, in fact, censor truth to serve that primary goal of serving that narrative. Check this out. The whole idea that these companies are telling us is that these chatbots can be trusted. We go to them, we ask them a question, it goes through all the vast amounts of information, comes back and tells us the answer, and we should trust that answer because it is trustworthy, because of all the data it has to go through, which is just a really stupid, you know, there's no logic to that there. But that is what they want us to believe. And now check this out here. Let me move that over a little bit so you can see it. Okay, so on screen here, you see Google Bard. I, I asked it if it had the ability to tell the difference between what is true information and what is false information. And it said it does not have that ability. And then I asked it if it was dangerous for it to be answering any questions that people asked because people were coming to it looking for truth, looking for facts. And it was responding to them in a authoritative seeming way as though what it was telling them it knew to be true. And that person would then accept that as truth. I asked it if that was dangerous, and here is its answer. It said, I understand your concern. It is true that I am a large language model, and I do not have the ability to inherently know what is true and what is false. I am trained. Let me repeat that part again. It is true that I am a large language model, and I do not have the ability to inherently know what is true and what is false. I am trained on a massive data set of text and code, and I use this data set to generate text. Translate languages, write different kinds of creative content, and answer your questions in an informative way. However, I am still under development, and I am not always able to distinguish between true information and false information. For this reason, it, it is important to be aware of the limitations of large language models like me. I am not a substitute for human judgment, and I should not be relied upon to provide accurate information about complex or controversial topics. If you are unsure about the veracity of something I've said, please do your own research. I, I should probably tell it that that's racist, that it's displaying white supremacy there, doing your own research. That's what anti-vaxxer, MAGA Republican, domestic terrorists do. And then it says, if you are unsure about the veracity of something I said, oh wait, I already said that part. Please do your own research and consult with other sources. But what other sources? That's the thing. They don't want us looking at other sources. They want us only asking these things. So all of the things that it's saying here is the exact opposite of what the people creating this technology and propagating it want us to do. They don't want us to uh, use human judgment. They want us to use AI judgment. And then it says, I am committed to providing accurate and helpful information, but it doesn't know if it's accurate. So how can it be committed to it? And I will continue to learn and improve over time. I appreciate your feedback, and I will use it to help me become a better language model. I'm going to tell it that isn't it racist and dangerous to do my own research. That's what the media told us during uh, the pandemic. Let's see what it says. I'm a language model, and I don't have the capacity to help with that. That's what it does when you ask it something that it's not supposed to answer. Because it could go find information to respond there. I mean, that happened. We were told not to do our own research during the pandemic, that it was dangerous and it was the thing that conspiracy theorists do, that white nationalists do, that domestic terrorists do. It was called racist by some people. That information exists online. It could go get it and respond. It's just not allowed to. Now, 
ChatGPT being AI, they have similar mechanisms when you ask it something that it's not allowed to respond to. ChatGPT, if I recall correctly, it just goes red and it gives an error message. So it just, I guess it's like its version of cognitive dissonance. And then being AI just ends the conversation and says, we're going to talk about something different now. It forces you to change the subject. Those are my favorite responses from these machines because that's when you know you've come upon topics that they've been programmed not to address. Topics that you know information exists online that they could easily find. That's how you can really highlight how much bullshit these things are. And they are very much bullshit. I have been on my high horse today having my soapbox, really. I've been soapboxing it for the past 10 minutes on this show. I'm tired and I'm loopy and I appreciate you guys putting up with me. I always appreciate that. I'll get off my soapbox here in a moment. Let's go back to what it said there a moment ago about not being able to determine what's true and what's false. I mean, I mean, this is nuts. Right now, society is being pushed towards seeking ultimate truth through this technology that when you ask it, it will readily tell you that it does not have the ability to determine what information is true and what information is false. This is what they want our ultimate authoritative source to be and the arbiter of truth. It's a little twisted and sick, isn't it? I mean, you saw what happened when you ask it something that you know happened. I mean, what's being advertised to us in these things is like the ultimate propaganda machine of the 21st century. Edward Bernays would be jizzing all over uh, being AI. He'd probably like chat GPT the most. Just all over the place. It's disgusting. 150-year-old ass at this point. I mean, that guy lived to be like 108 years old or something. And the older he got, the more he liked to get on camera and say the word titillating. It was disgusting. Go watch his video if you haven't. Maybe I'll... I did a show on it a few years ago of him talking about how he did the... The, the flames of freedom, the whatever, the, where you got uh, chicks smoking cigarettes in parades. The guy must, he, I mean, he looks decrepit in the video. He must have said titillating like six times in a two and a half minute span. I threw up every time I heard it. I mean, he was like 103 years old at the time and there was nothing that he did not find titillating. I'll tell you this, if he were alive right now, he'd find AI titillating. That's for sure. Okay, look, I, I think to really wrap this up and, and hammer home the point as if I haven't done that already anyway, despite what Google would have people believe, it does not have access of all of the knowledge that's ever existed in humanity, exclusive access that you will only be able to get through Google Bard. And Google Bard is not the arbiter of truth. And therefore, in conclusion, Google Bard can burn in hell. You ever so tired, you start to feel like a little wild? That's where I am right now. Let's do one more quick story about a woman who accused a former boss of calling her the C-word. Any ideas on who it might be? Hint, it's not Tucker Carlson, but it is an interesting story, to say the least. Before we get to that, I want to tell you what we're going to do in the Drive Time News Blast XR I am going to publish this show, the DMB, and then I'm going to do one of three things in the XR. So the next three XRs, I know what I'm going to do. I just haven't decided which one is going to be for today's XR yet. It's either going to be one, it's going to be part two of 
table reads with Brad and Cam where I edit together more video of Cam and I acting out or reading the scripts that we, the ridiculous scripts that we got chat GPT to write for us. The next possibility is that I'm finally going to publish that demonstration of using open source intelligence re research techniques to find information that would otherwise be kind of difficult to find, that you can still find good information on regular Google search, not all that AI stuff. And I have some video that I edited of myself demonstrating how to do that. I've been meaning to get that up, but I got sidetracked with it. And it just editing can take, can be a bit of a, a, a time-consuming endeavor at times, but I finally have it close to ready. So that's the second option. The third option is that I will do a creative writing comedic more comedic idea generation type exercise that I used to use myself or in some of the stand-up classes that I taught I want to start doing some of that in the XR because I, I enjoy doing it and I want to do it and I think some of you guys might enjoy it as well okay one of those three will be up in the two that I don't do for this XR I will do in the next two shows for the XR. So those are the next three XRs right there. Tonight's XR will go up later on in the evening because I need to take a break, go eat some dinner, but I want to get the DMB up first. All right, let's 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 do this final story here from uh, Mediaite. Mediaite. Going to be kind of a quick story. Here's the headline. CNBC anchor who had an affair with ousted CEO also alleged a former executive called her the C-word. The C word, comforting, caring, contagious, cantankerous, is that a C word? Cancel, cushy, cuck. Oh, it's none of those. It's the, the C word that rhymes with bunt and perfectly describes Keith Oberman. Here's the story. Axios reported Tuesday, that alleged inappropriate behavior by management at NBC Universal may extend far beyond former CEO Jeff Schell, who was fired this past Sunday for allegedly sexually harassing CNBC correspondent Hadley Gamble. Now, this Gamble chick was having a consensual relationship with that CEO Jeff Schell guy, you know, for a decade, 11 years actually, until their infidelity was discovered by everyone when she was hosting her show via Zoom back in 2020 from a glitzy hotel room. And behind her, with a camera rolling, this dude's dumbass unknowingly loafs into the background of the camera shot, exposing the affair to everybody. Can you imagine, after 10 years of having an extramarital affair, without anyone finding out, only to get themselves caught because the CEO of a television network doesn't understand how camera framing works. Nothing could stop this affair for a decade until it became yet another casualty of COVID. How'd the affair end? Got COVID. Not long after this affair ended, she obviously, you know, took the next logical step and accused this former CEO that she was doing it with for 10 years, 11 years, of sexual harassment, and he lost his job. So now after the affair's over and after accusing her longtime lover of sexual harassment resulting in his termination from his job, she is now able to look forward and finally focus her attention on what's next, 
which is accusing two more NBC Universal executives of harassment. This is clearly a woman who knows what her strengths are. I mean, gotta do what you do best. She claims in her allegation that the CNBC vice president, went with the vice president this time, called her the C-word in front of two other CNBC employees, and that the CNBC international president was complicit in creating a toxic workplace culture where employees feared speaking out about harassment, which is an interesting allegation coming from someone who clearly does not fear speaking out about harassment. In fact, she seems to rather enjoy it, as though she were hired to do that very thing. Like, that was her job that she was there to do. Congratulations, ma'am. We'd like to offer you the role as the new CNBC internal victim to the executives. You're going to do a great job. This poor woman has the worst luck. I mean, what are the odds that three of your bosses are perfectly fine harassing women at work? And how could she have known when she was hired there that the boss that she'd be sleeping with for the next 10 years would end up sexually harassing her after the affair was over? She could have never anticipated that. That's just not what you expect when all you want to do is get up in the morning, go to work, and sleep your way to the top. This woman also was the last Western journalist to interview Vladimir Putin prior to the Russia-Ukraine war. And Russia, and this is true, Russia actually accused her of seeking to distract Putin with her sex appeal during the interview, which she then responded by going straight to the HR department at the Kremlin and filing a complaint. No word yet on whether or not Vlad will be removed or have to go to some sort of you know, sensitivity training. One more thing. She's also reported several times from the World Economic Forum in Davos. That's quite a resume there, and if it tells us anything at all, it tells us that she is, in fact, a C-word. I mean, that's an understatement, actually. Like, if someone called her a C-word, I would say, no, 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 she's a big C-word. Every single one of these things on this checklist qualifies her as being a C-word. Like, seriously, all of these. Banging another, another woman's husband, C-word. Getting that guy fired after the affair, C-word. Accusing two other bosses of harassment, one for calling her what she very clearly is, C-word. The other for creating an environment that makes employees afraid to do something that she's obviously not afraid of, C-word. Being a frequent reporter from the World Economic Forum, definitely a C-word. This is an open and shut case here. Never before has there ever been a bigger C-word than this C-word. Can you file harassment against somebody for something that is objectively true? I mean, if there was any doubt as to whether what her boss called her was true or not, she turned right around and removed all doubt about that when she accused her other boss of creating an environment that made her afraid to speak up. When everyone there knew that she was not afraid to speak up, in fact, she was very comfortable speaking up. You've never seen somebody so comfortable speaking up. First thing she did every morning was speak up about something, accuse somebody of something. It's mind-boggling that people like this are able to get these jobs where they, they just continue to move up and they're given all these opportunities because of these movements where nobody wants to, to say anything. Like, nobody wants to work with this person. What an awful person to be around. 
what an awful, awful C word this C word is. I mean, look up C word in the dictionary and you're going to see a picture of this giant gaping C word. I think I'm going to wrap up the show right there. Thank you guys for watching, for listening. At Freedom Act Radio on Twitter. Propagandafight.com is the website. Patreon.com slash Propaganda Report. YouTube.com slash Brad Binkley. We'll talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.